This week's episode of Tales from the Gemini features Ricky Gatson, 12-time motorcycle drag racing champion, and he is a living legend in the sport. He is the James Bubba Stewart of drag racing, motorcycle drag racing. Some people call him the Tiger Woods, but then he's the Michael Jordan of the sport. What he has done is, is unprecedented, and he talked, we talk about that, how he first learned to ride, how his mom used to ride, and she wasn't tall enough to reach the ground as dad had to hold her up. We get into some personal stories, and it's fun. I think you'll enjoy it, and I'm trying to talk him into doing the Ricky Gatson story, and let me be the head star. I'll see how that goes. Anyway, enjoy Ricky Gatson. One, two, three, and... Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini, and today I have the living legend. And honestly, we're gonna get right to it. But today we got Ricky Gatson. You know the name, twelve-time world champion drag motorcycle drag racer. And honestly, man, how does it make you feel, Ricky, to know? And I mean, it's from the bottom of my heart to know that you're like, you know, they always say put respect on my name or or give the person flowers while they're still here. And what you are is. You've transcended your sport. I mean, and that's, and that's the truth because of all the motorcycle disciplines, drag racing was something I peaked in. Uh, you know, I love motorcycle, but I peaked on drag racing, but that was the one it's I go, the minority. Oh. I'm sorry? It's, it's the minority, I know. It is, but you, your name is, like I said, it's transcended the sport, man. How does it make you feel to say you're a legend? And I mean that, like, you're a legend. When you come to go, everybody knows, everybody knows Ricky Gadsden. It's crazy. It's like just just the fact that, you know, it's it's hard to grasp onto the fact that people like I'm in the magazines, I'm in the in the books for the history of drag racing and stuff. Next to names like Terry Terry Vance and 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 um, Dave Schultz and Elmer Trett, you know, the the biggest names in motorcycle. Period. So to know that I'm in the same book and I'm mentioned in the same sense in them as them is uh, pretty overwhelming, especially considering my background, where I come from. I'm just from Philly. I'm just a kid from Philly that didn't have no dirt to, to ride that dirt bike in. You were the original You were the original dirt bike boy, although you didn't ride dirt bikes, but you were one of the original dirt bike boys. And that's, but that's why your story is so compelling. Not just, and no disrespect to him, I mean, I knew your father rode, which I thought, you know, was great because it helps as a kid to see what your dad's doing. Everybody wants to be like their dad. But what I found so cool was that your entire family rode. And to me, it's more important, at least more interesting, that your mom and your sister rode. Yeah. Did you, know how, mom, did you know how groundbreaking my, that was to watch your mom ride? And did you have, and what kind of respect did you have for her to seeing your mom ride on her own? Well, you know, I, I remember growing up, like it used to, we used to be uh, ride three abreast. And um, we were one of the few families that would, I would ride on the gas tank. My dad would ride in a natural riding position and my mom would ride behind us. And we'd ride everywhere down the highway and everything. That's kind of like how I learned to ride is controlling the handlebars and the gas and stuff while we were on a family trip together. And then I remember at one point, my dad just went and bought my mom a motorcycle one day on a Saturday, went and bought her a motorcycle, gave her an hour lesson before we went to get the bike. We went and bought the motorcycle. Then he put her on the motorcycle by herself and we rode across the bridge into New Jersey on her maiden voyage. I remember her crashing that day because we were making a U-turn and a car blew the horn at her and she panicked and gave it gas, went all up through the gas station and everything before she fell. But luckily she wasn't going but five or 10 miles an hour when she oh fell. My 
God. Man, that's got, I mean, but did you know what the, and that's a different time. I mean, those were different. Just you telling how you wrote on the gas tank and then your dad and your mom. I mean, honestly, you can't do that nowadays. You're going to jail and, and the kids are going to INS. There's no way. There's no way in the world you can do that nowadays. But that had to be a. Did everybody do that? Or was it just your family? No, it was just my dad. And and like and and here's the thing that was remarkable about it. Once my mom started riding her own motorcycle, um, we would ride. It's funny because my mom was so short; she was like four eleven. So every light we come to, if she didn't stop properly, she'd have to walk with it and then lose balance, and the bike would be falling over. My dad would just reach over and grab the bike like this as it's falling over and pull it back up for it. And then we keep on riding. Like it, it, was, it was crazy. And then when I started, when at that point, when I wanted to ride, when my dad wanted me to ride, literally my dad would sidestep, like side saddle the bike. So he'd be like, you want to ride? I'm like there. He would stand up and he'd step off to the bike on one side like this. Yeah. And I would, I would slide up to the front and then he'd throw his leg back around and back behind him. And then I, he'd give me the handlebars and stuff, and then he'd let go and sit in the back. And I ended up going with my daughter, my 13-year-old daughter. I had her ride my my bagger like that. Oh, my. And how, how old were you when he, when he did that? How old were you? Uh, I had to be seven, eight, something like Because I started riding. I started riding uh, at eight years old. I started riding my dad's motorcycle by myself. But I was too short to ride it. So he would literally, at a family reunion, he wanted to show off to all of our family was there. He's like, son, you think you're ready? I was like, ready for what? He was like, you want to ride? I said, by myself? He was like, yeah. I said, how? I can't reach the ground. He had me get on the motorcycle and he would hold the bike up, bike up by the back, right? Yeah. By the sissy bar in the back of the seat. He'd hold it up. And I'd, I'd get on the motorcycle. I'd start it up, put it in gear. Once I started letting the clutch go, he let go. And I'd ride down the street, make a U-turn, come back, ride back past everybody, go down there, make a U-turn, come back. And he'd walk out in the middle of the street and open his legs. And I would ride directly up in between his legs and then hit the front brake. And, and when I hit the front brake and stop, he grabbed the hand bars. And then i kick the kickstand down and then get off the bike. I would dismount. Holy, did you have a helmet? Did you have a helmet? And then, oh yeah, yeah, I had a helmet. And then I would, I got smart as I went on because one day uh, everybody wanted me to ride their motorcycle. Everybody, Suey, Suey, let your son ride my bike, right? Yeah. So I was riding this guy's bike and I was making a U-turn. And I remember every, I remember it was almost like slow motion. I remember looking up the street. I was down the street making a U-turn and the bike cut off. Oh. While I was making a U-turn, oh, we got problems. Houston, we have problems. All I remember in slow motion is me looking up the street and seeing everybody's face like this. <laughs> and at the last minute, when the bike stopped rolling, I kicked the kickstand down and it leaned over on a kickstand, and people went crazy. And then ever since then, I started kicking the kickstand down when I wanted to stop. <laughs> you were a classic before you were a classic. I, that's worked, so, you know. My God, man, that's an awesome. Now, what, what, what years were this? Now, how old are you now? How old are you now? 55. Okay, so you got a couple years was, on me. I was 77 when I started. 
Oh my God. I think I think I got my first bike. I think it's 78. Mine was a Z50. But I grew up in kind of a rural setting. So I had fields around me. That I think that's why. I, like I, drag racing was minority for me because I had fields around me, so I'd go get dirty, man. I'd go in the you know fields and and come in mud and everything. Well, see, and I started, I started on a dirt, I started on a mini bike at five years old. Um, but I started dirt drag racing, so I was in big time in dirt drag racing for all the way up until my dad died in '79. So I was 13 when he died. I was still dirt racing. I was scrambles, hair and scrambles, yeah. right? And, um, and, and dirt drag racing, that's what I would do. And I was really good at that. And then my friends would sometimes not come to the dirt drag races. Yeah. I'd be like, where, where's Kevin? Or where's so-and-so? Oh, he went to the drag strip. And then when I saw him, I go, you wasn't at the last race? Oh yeah, I was at Acro Raceway. I was like, why? Like, I thought, like, why do you want to go to the asphalt, the drag race? Like, we dirt drag race. That's what we do. And sure enough, I, I went one day and got hooked. Now, how did you, how did you make that? And when you, when you dirt drag race, what, what was your bike? And how did that, how did that work? I mean, were you, was it dirt, dirt? Was it a little grass? How did that work? And was it a professional league or how did that work? It was dirt, dirt. Matter of fact, I started on a mini bike. And then I progressed up, you know, there was classes just like there's drag racing. So there was like mini bikes and then there was uh, 80 to 125, 125 to 250, you know, then the 350 to, to, to 500 class. And then there was like an outlaw class. The outlaw class is whatever you want to bring. Well, back then, believe it or not, it was this old guy named Pops, right? Yeah. Old white guy. He was the first one to trust me. He put me on a 1000 cc Suzuki, right? Like a 70, I don't know, like it was like a 76 or 77, 1000 Suzuki with no, with no gas tank. Like it was all stripped down. It had a big knobby tire with paddles on and stuff. We used to leave ruts like this deep, right? Yeah. And a rooster tails, rooster tails would go eight feet in the air when I'd leave the starting line. When I, when, when I was young, I wasn't, I didn't know to be scared. So he put me on the bike. And as soon as I made a pass on it, that was it. Ricky, you got to ride my bike from now on. Oh my God. So you are, if anything, is, is there anything that you're a natural at, you were a natural at this. I mean, like I always say, you, you were born into the bike life and you basically just stayed. Yeah. Like you knew, you, you didn't know anything else. Did you ever do any other sports or anything? Yeah, I played. I, I I played basketball. Um, I got big into boating at one time. Um, I horseback ride, um, jet ski. But it was always a little bike. bit of everything. But it was always the bikes. Always yep. the bikes. Yeah. Now when so, did you always? No, in fact, my high school, my high school people, uh, my high school friends and stuff. They all, they all, they said they always knew I was going to be something special because. Um, at 11th grade, like I was the only one that would drive to school. Like my mom, you know, she blessed me. And um, I would drive to school at 11th grade. Um, as soon as I turned 16, I went and got my license in South Carolina at 15. You got to be 16 in Philly to get you the license. I had mine at 15. So my mom, she blessed me with a vehicle to drive to school back and forth. And I used to ride a motorcycle back and forth to school. So my teachers used to get scared. What are you doing on that motorcycle? That thing's dangerous and this and that. And then every day, my buddy Reggie Showers, with the great Reggie Showers, 
he would come by and we would show off for the girls. He would, we would go around the block and start up top there. When the lights turn green, we come by the school, both with wheels in the air like this to show off. But that's, that's where I started. So all my friends now that know that I made it, they like really like we knew it. We knew it from high school. Like you were so in the motors that you were the only one. Like, and and I start. I did my first drag race um, as a sponsored drag racer the month after I got out of high school. Narstown Honda had picked me up months before that, but my mom told me I couldn't go race until after I got out of school. So when I got out of school, the week after I got out of school, I went to my first race, NMRA race in Ohio, with my first sponsor, Narstown Honda. Holy mother. I bet in high school, though, you had the chicks had to love you, man. Just because when you ride a motorcycle and you ride it like that, especially in front of the school, I remember being in ninth grade and I still remember Ronald Yates doing a fishtail the length of a football field because it just rained like three days before. He literally fishtailed, and I always remember that he had Kirker exhaust and he and he and he just and he opened it up and just fishtail. And to this day, I go, oh, that's what I used to do. And, and kind of crazy. I used to do that. And then not only top of that, on top of that, I used to um my brother had my brother had some of the coolest cars they were, all hot, just hot rides. And, and my brother used to let me drive his cars to school. I used to be I used to be on it. My friends he'd be like, What you driving today? What you show up in the day? A helicopter? You know, like got all got something different. So you like the black James Bond back in the day, man. Yeah. Okay, so now how did you, I know, you know, I looked at your story, like, how did you not fall victim? Because I know you, you know, lived in Philly, um, and you know how rough it can be, and you did the drag racing scene on the street, that is. And how did you not get sucked up into the the, the bad stuff? So, again, because I know how kids are, and that's not saying it's bad, but you know how it is sometimes, you take, you know, street drag racing, and then this might lead to this, and this and that, and next thing you know, bam, you're in trouble. How did you stay on the straight and narrow? Well, you know, I lived in an area with Gang Warren. Gang Warren was big time when I was growing up in Philly and in Southwest Philadelphia. And uh, everybody, know, to be honest with you, motorcycles saved my life. It literally did because I didn't stay in Philly. As, as, soon as, I, as soon as I got out of high school, I started going racing, you know, and, you know, I would come back to, you know, back to, I lived there till I was, I lived at my mom's house till I was 18. I bought my first, um, uh, triplex, uh, multi-story apartment building at 19, and I never went back home. Uh, um, and I, although I went and visited my mom, I got out of that neighborhood. And everybody that I know, they they either still in the neighborhood doing the same things they were doing when I was a kid yeah. as older adults now, but they still hanging on the same corners, or they're all dead or in jail. Wow. Most of them are dead now. The last couple ones recently that I've heard that just died even of COVID. Um, they, they've been still in there. I still go there all the time. So I still see these guys. They, they think I'm some God because I left the neighborhood and became something and they all still in the same corner. I saw that when I was watching your YouTube video, cause you went back to the old neighborhood. Uh, cause uh, you're that annual festival. Your mom started I, and I saw, and I kind of picked up on that. Like, don't get me wrong. You were glad to be back and it was good for you. I mean, you, you were happy to see the people you saw because you were influenced. But I just got I just got that feeling like you were you wanted to move and it wasn't anything bad on them, but you you wanted to grow. As I felt that you wanted to grow as a person and you weren't gonna get that staying in the same neighborhood. Wasn't. Wasn't. Still love them to death. Still love them. I have I have some friends that live here in Atlanta now that I grew up with, like that. 
I have one friend that I grew up with since I was five, six years old. He's here in Atlanta now. We always talk about it, like the fact that I left, I got out of there. I, 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 I saved my own life, you know, by getting out of there. So, how did you have the clairvoyance for that, though? How did you have the clairvoyance to go, okay, this is not what I want to do? I mean, was I it? Did, I didn't know. I wasn't looking at that. I wasn't looking at that. That that, that was going to get me in trouble. I just was chasing something. Uh, I just it was I just chased motorcycles. I just chased. I bought houses. I bought a house, and then um, I was I just went. Racing was my bloodline. So every time um, it was time to go racing, I would go to work just to go to just to be able to go to racing. So and then I moved out of Philadelphia. Period. I bought an apartment building, and then um, for three years later, I moved out of Philadelphia. Period. Into the suburbs in New Jersey. Right. Um, and just never came back to Philly. Never moved back to Philly. So from nineteen. 89 or 90, I moved to New Jersey out of Philadelphia and never went back. Now, I knew you I were, went back to my mom today, yeah. Right, right, right. Now, I knew you were a street, a street racing legend, but then how did you make that transition from street racing to, you know, the professional ranks? And was it, was it something that happened? You go, you know what, I better make this professional. I mean, I better get on a straight and narrow and, and make it a professional, like professional race I can get paid for. Or, that, or did you just happen to luck into it? I lucked into it. Uh, I was in the right place at the right time because you got to remember, it never existed. What I, what, where I've come from, that is not a path that I can pay for anybody else because it never existed before what I did. Um, there was never a professional motorcycle driver so that got paid by an OEM. OEM meaning a manufacturer of a motorcycle. Right. Like the only thing that manufacturers were interested in was dirt bikes and road racing, not drag racing. Drag racing, I was told specifically don't get your hopes up. The OEMs will never pick up drag racing. Dave Schultz, the greatest motorcycle drag racer there is, had a had some type of deal going with Kawasaki uh, where they helped him, but he never got sponsored by them. He wow. never wore the Kawasaki flag. And literally, it was being at the right place at the right time and, and meeting the right person who happened to be the director of the motorcycle division at Kawasaki just us talking in general and him finding out that I'm, I'm racing in that race. He just took a lot. He just, for some reason, I don't know why John really just took an interest in me and he wasn't there as a representative of Kawasaki at that point in time. He wasn't looking for anybody or anything. He was there because one of the employees who worked at Kawasaki was racing and he just wanted to see him race because they never saw him race. Yeah. And I just struck up a conversation with him in the grandstand. And years later, when I would go to meet the grand poobah of Kawasaki, yeah. it was him. And he remembered me and had always kept track of me. And I remembered him from being in the grandstand like two or three years ago when we was talking. I didn't know that you, I didn't, I didn't know you were the, I, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he knew I didn't know, and I don't know. He just, he told me, you know, don't get my hopes up. He's trying to work on something, but the Japanese don't get drag racing. He's like, the Japanese don't get it. He's like, and until, he's like, until we can show them the value of drag racing, I, I don't know how that's going to work. So what he did, like two years later, he helped me on the slide. Um, he could, I couldn't announce that he was doing it because he was representing Kawasaki. But he would have his friend who owns a big company, 
Um, one of the companies that he would deal with, he would have the money go through them to get to me to buy my trailer, to buy my leathers. So he was helping me in the back door, right? right. And then one one day he came up with the fact that, okay, we can't have a team because the Japanese don't see the value in it, but I control the marketing dollars. I see that we can market Kawasaki motorcycles by investing in this program. So he used marketing money for the first three years. He used marketing money, not a drag racing money, but marketing money to support me and to sponsor me because that helps sell motorcycles. And he knew that. And he knew that I would bridge the gap between the black black people and, and a big corporation. He knew that I was that gap. So I was the liaison to, to basically, I was, I was on the ground running. I was the one that was out there um, basically rubbing elbows with everybody and then giving him feedback of what everybody's looking for, what everybody wants. And it just grew and grew and grew until he retired and he came and signed me for an extra two years before he retired because he didn't have faith that they would continue the program when he left. And uh, once he left, they did cancel the program after my two years was up. Yeah. Um, and I was without Kawasaki for one year. And then I had already met the president of Kawasaki, the president of KHI, which is in Japan. He was the president of KMC, which is the United States version of Kawasaki at the time that John Hoover sponsored me and him and John Hoover were like this. So when they let me go, when they came out with this new ZX-14, they said the only way for us to market this motorcycle is through Ricky. So he had, he called John Hoover and asked John Hoover, do you think Ricky would come back? John says, yes, call him. And he called, they, he had the people call me and that's how I got my own program with Kawasaki. And then it grew, grew, grew like that. Like, How do you, what was it about you? Or what do you think, what do you think it's about yourself that makes you that, chosen one i mean or do you or do you even think about it because you seem like a kind of person just watching the, your career you don't seem like you sit back and rest on your laurels because there's things you just to me you're always doing something and then it's like is ricky still racing oh ricky's got a show ricky's got this but what made what made what makes you think there's about you what is it about you that was the chosen one, that was the first one to do this, or that, that liaison to, to this community that everybody could relate to and it's gonna bring these people uh, you know, more fans. What was it? I was just blessed. I was doing what I love to do. And I learned a long time ago that I gotta separate myself from the stereotypes of our people. Right, and as in, uh, for example, like, like what though, like what? As, as in gambling and cursing and, and and you know, just all this, the negativities that come around black folks, that come from black folks. Right. And I, I realized, and people would tell me, oh man, you would get a lot further if you wasn't, if you didn't have so-and-so and back, you know, loud mouth around you and all that stuff. So I just started kind of distancing myself, but I was looking at, I wasn't, I didn't change on anybody. I just realized that I had to change. I had to present myself differently when I'm around if it was if it was corporate they wanted it was corporate they got okay i know how to speak i know how to speak to corporate people and then i know how to hang with my people right you know, that, that is that's, i know how to speak our language and i know how to speak their language yes 
Oh, now, did you ever get grief? Which uh, this is, I love this part here because, man, I grew up in the same kind of thing, and I used to get grief for it because, man, I, you know, I love my motorcycles and my motorcycle racing. I went to stock car racing on a Friday night. I missed my prom on a Friday night to go to stock car races, and I love rock and roll. So I know exactly what you're talking about there. But did you ever get blowback from your people because of that? Like, okay, Rick, you got to, you know, put the corporate Rick on now. Absolutely. What would they? What would they say? Call me Uncle Tom's. They call me Trader. They call me everything. They I, like, oh, you changed. You different now. Now you got the white folk behind you. You different now. I'm like, dude, I ain't different. I'm the same person. I still hang with y'all. Still, I just can't do what I used to do. I can't. I can't be around y'all while y'all gambling and all that stuff. Like, I, I, I have a different perspective. I, I'm trying to do something here that's never been done before. And the stereotype is that this is what you get when you deal with black folks. Yes. So yes. that's not what I wanted to present. That's not what I wanted them to get when they dealt with me. So um, I was raised, I, I, I was, I'm educated. So I knew how to, I knew what they did not want to see. Hey, Chad. Oh, here we go. You still, I got you. I got you. Can you hold on one second? Yeah, no worries. No worries. Yeah. My battery seems to be on that. You got that battery pack. Does they have a lighter, a uh, cigarette lighter thing in it? In it? The one that I got, the small one. The, the one in the garage. The big one. Yeah. Can you hold on one second? Yeah. No worries, man. No worries. Yeah. You know, you know what? Let's work. Let's work on. Let me get a little Look at it now. Let's see. Hold on one second. No, no worries. No worries. No worries. Uh, nope. Still not working. That's something else, then. Cause that that I use that to turn my phone on all day today. That be cool. You got another? You got another cord? But it can't be the cool I've been using to turn my phone all day. I don't care. All right, I'm going to have to go sit in my truck. Hold on. Okay, don't worry. Don't worry. Let me get you back here. I don't know why this other cord is not working on my phone. All of a sudden. You know what it reminds me of? When I was yeah, I'm going to sit in the truck. 
when I saw you traveling and you uh you you went god damn it and you forgot your cord for your computer to uh to download the bike. Oh yeah. Remember that? <laughs> So that's, that's, that's what this yeah. reminds me of. That's what this reminds me of. So yeah, I kind of like this in a way. I mean, I, I I like to see like when things. I mean, it's so, it's one thing when like you like a comic, you can see somebody special. Like okay, that's great. But I like to see behind the scenes things ain't going right. Or like hold on for a second. Or when things kind of break down, I like that better. I like when you get when you get a Brett Farvin. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you know you know Brett. You know like hey, anybody can be Troy Aikman when you got when you got those dudes protecting you. Anybody can be Troy. Aikman. But when things break down and you got to make a play. That's when it gets fun. You so gotta make it work. Yeah, so I love this. I love this right here, man. I mean, from the bottom of my heart, I love this. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. Make it do what it do, baby. <laughs> and we were talking about did those criticisms ever like? I know you act like it didn't hurt, but at the time, did they sting you a little bit when you talk about, hey, man, you kind of a sellout. Blah, blah. Absolutely. It absolutely stung me a lot. Not just a little bit. It stung me a lot because I felt like I didn't change. I didn't change at all. Um, I, I just, I'm doing, you know, and I lost, I lost some friends and I lost people, you know, um, but it was even at the point where um, I was real good friends with, with Troy Vincent, who was a cornerback for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and we started a motorcycle drag racing team together in 1996, um, 1997. And, he asked me to step away. I had just started getting somewhere with Kawasaki. Just this man that was I was telling you about, John Hoover, uh -huh. was investing in me. And Troy wanted me for us to start an NHRA pro stock motorcycle drag racing team. He wanted me to step away from, from um, Kawasaki and only focus on the pro stock team. And I wasn't willing to do it. I said, dude, I, I'm getting somewhere where nobody's gotten before. Um why do you, why do I need to do that? Like, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to break some grounds here. And, uh, it, it, it didn't work for us. We, we brought Antron Brown in. Yes. Um, and, and I taught Antron Brown how to, how to ride. And we put Antron, we bought two motorcycles. We bought two pro stock motorcycles. One was for Antron. I taught Antron how to ride it. And then the other one was, uh, for me. So Troy would sit that other bike in the trailer so that I could see it there every time I would see him at the racetrack going, that's your bike sitting right there, you know, and, but I just wasn't going to leave Kawasaki. So in the end it worked out because, you know, Troy only stayed in drag racing for about three years and here's 18 years later, I was still with Kawasaki. So, you know, honestly, and I'm connecting this right now because I, you're such a trendsetter, but basically you're the James Stewart of drag racing and motorcycle drag racing where he was in, in dirt bikes. You're the one that's in drag racing. I mean, you are, you're the James Stewart of that sport of the sport. You know, what's funny. What? Um, me and James Stewart were the only ones in the Kawasaki uh, on the Kawasaki team. And we, uh, that were black. And I would look at his mom and his mom would come to me afterwards and go, Ricky, are you getting paid yet? And I'm like, no. Sonia would go. Sonia would say, "Yeah, us neither. This is this is BS." So for years, me and James Stewart, well, he was a lot younger. Right, right, right. He was just on the fifties. He hadn't even gotten to the one twenty fives yet. Right. But he had been with them for five or six years in Team Green, and I was just starting. Probably, I had been with them probably about four, about three or four years, uh -huh. and um, 
we would always, we were the only two black people in there in the Kawasaki uh, media conferences and at the awards banquets and stuff. And Sonia would always ask me, Ricky, are you getting paid yet? I'm like, nope. She was like, me neither. And we, it was like coming to a head. And so me and James been close since he was a little, yeah. you know? Yeah. So it's funny that you compare that to me because most people say, that I'm the Tiger Woods of drag racing, or, no, no, you know, no, no. Or Michael Jordan of drag racing or something like that, you know, so. No, it, it, and it's funny because I told my producer this, I go, I bet he doesn't remember this. The first time we met was at Black Bike Week in Myrtle Beach. And for some reason, I pissed you off so much, you just turned away and walked away from me. And I go, really? That, that's me. Yeah. I mean, you got to understand me. I'm. I, people don't believe that this energy is real and is genuine. But when I like, if I'm, if I'm around motorcycles, I geek out. And if I see somebody that's, you know, that, that's at that level that rides, I'm like, I'm doubly geeked. So I remember it was, it was, it was from the bike that was featured in Two Wheel Tuner magazine. It was, a, I think it was the Yamaha that they had the red wheels. It was white and had the red wheels. Okay. <laughs> you, you, you the, was it was it was when we had the stage in Myrtle Beach and everything when I was working with Tua Tuner? Yes, I think so. Cause yeah. we, were, we were underneath the tent. And I go, Ricky, <laughs> and I start talking to you, and you were really cool at first. And I think I just kept yapping, and finally, you just you literally turned and walked away from me. And I was like, Oh man, there I go again. Like I didn't get mad because I I know me, and I go, Yep, that's me, that's me. And you just turned and walked. I don't, know. <laughs> don't sound like me, but I don't know. No, I remember so so when you know when you try to get this thing going the first time, I go, you know what? You probably remember that first time. That's probably why I did. No. And <laughs> <laughs> nothing to do with it. Man, that's why I laugh so hard because I go, you know what? You probably remember that was me, and that's why I didn't have it. And that's why I just laugh because I always I always start these off on motorcycle. I go, man, if I ever get a chance to apologize to Chad Reed, that's what I'm gonna do. I did the same thing to Chad Reed. I just get on that guy's nerves. But like I said, I'm no one believes a grown ass man that's 50 years old goes, oh my God, it's so and so. I mean, you would think the Beatles walked in and it's 1965. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, it's Ricky Gates. And you just said, I, I can't deal with this guy no more. <laughs> no, but I didn't, I never did know, like, I never did know that any of this stuff was possible. And one of the things that I, you asked me that I'm trying to get back to is that I never, I never rested on my last accomplishment. Like it was always about moving forward. And like, I, I was just never happy with what I did last. It was, what am I going to do next? And in this industry to stay relevant for as many years as, about, as I've been in this industry, um, it's pretty remarkable because I had to change with times. You know, there was no, there was no YouTube, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram. There was no social media. There was only magazine articles. There was only accomplishments that was written in black and white. Yes. So um, the fact that in this sport, you're only as good as your last championship. You know, if you go two or three years without winning a championship, your value is done. Right. And then, and then on top of that, if you start aging and that happens right away, they assume it's because you're, getting too old you, right. you you lost your step right right and so they they automatically in this sport we all know they're looking for the next 15 year old yep. the next eight year old so that they can groom them 
to be a champion like Chad Reed, to be a champion like Eli, Eli Tomac, to be a champion like Ricky Carmichael. They groomed all of them, James Stewart. Kawasaki groomed all of them from the Team Green era, from their seven, eight, nine years old. And they held on to them until they became champions. And But if you can't maintain that status, your, your time comes and goes. So although I didn't make the money that Stuart made, nowhere near the money that Stuart made me or Carmichael or, or uh, any of the road races, Doug Chandler or any of those, I didn't make their type of money, but their careers lasted a third of, the, of mine. So I've been able to remain relevant to continue making slow money over a long period of time. And that's what I was going to ask you. And it's not just the relevance of sticking around. This. I mean, how did you maintain just the level of competition? Because in that manner, you're like Tom Brady. I mean, you've gotten better with age because age comes perspective, comes experience, where you see somebody's young and you might be able to exploit that because you were young. You go, okay, I know this guy. He's probably going to jump the grant if I do this, if I do that. So, and that experience helps you. But how did you still maintain that level of competitiveness? Because, like I said, you got, you got that experience. And how is it that drag racers – can of all the sports, as far as motorsports goes, you know, I could enter drag racing and still be good. Whereas some of them, you know, like I can't do motocross at this age or whatever, or, or whatever, but in right. drag racing, some of, some of the champions are, are, are older. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, that's a, that's a real easy answer for me as far as how did I remain competitive, even at the age that I am right now is because I never stopped. I've never I've been doing this since 1980. I've been drag racing since 1984, right? Yeah. There's never been a year that I didn't drag race. And in 1989, I started racing on the circuit. In 1991, I turned professional. I never missed one race from 1991 until about 2013 when my mom died. So from 1991 to then, Ricky Gaston has been to every single race. I've been down the racetrack more than anybody in, in, well, I can't say anybody because you got Larry McBride's out there who've been doing it longer than me. Uh, Billy Vos has been doing it, but Billy Vos has kind of come and gone. Um, but, you know, but besides Paul Gass, I want to say Paul Gass and Larry McBride, I would say are the only two famous drag racers right now that has been out there continuously as long as me. But Larry McBride took a, took a hiatus for a minute. Mm -hmm. Paul Gass took a short hiatus. I never took a hiatus. So I've been, to remain relevant, you gotta stay continuous. Yes. And, and you have to change with the times. Like my riding, the way I rode in 1984, I don't ride that way anymore. I move with the motorcycles, the motorcycles, the bike that I'm riding right now, mm -hmm. the, the bike that comes out the factory. So here's, here's one way to look at it. I, I had the first nine second motorcycle back in 1985. I had an 84 GS 1150. I had the first nine second motorcycle stock wheelbase motorcycle in 1985. I made so much money street racing because it was unheard of for a motorcycle to go nine seconds. Now, that was 1985. Fast forward, I mean, rewind six years before that, Bob Carpenter in 1979 was the first pro stock motorcycle to go nine seconds. Wow. Six years later, 
I went nine seconds on a street bike with a street tire with a stock wheel base. Fast forward from then to 20 years later, I went, I was the first one to ever go nine seconds on a 600cc motorcycle for Cycle World magazine. So you see the transition? Yes. 1979, Bob Crockner was the first one to break into the nines on a pro stock motorcycle. Yes. In 1985, I was the first one to go to have a nine second street bike with a stock wheelbase. In 1998, I was the first one on the cover of all the magazines to ever break into the nines on a production motorcycle. That was the Kawasaki ZX9R. I was the first one to ever run nines on a production motorcycle in, on the front of every magazine in 1998. And then in 2005, I was on the front cover of Cycle World magazine for being the first motorcycle ever to go nine seconds on a production 600cc motorcycle. So now we go from a pro stock motorcycle in 1979 with unlimited funds and unlimited money and slick and willy bar going nine seconds to me riding a street bike in 2005 and going nine seconds on a 600cc motorcycle. Oh That's how much evolution has evolved and I've been here since every bit of it. That to me, that, oh, that, that to me is incredible how you wrote me. But I want to know is, how did you not get burned out? How did you keep the passion for doing this? Because, and, and, it's, and it's amazing that I talked to you about this because as we tape this, Valentino Rossi is going to retire this Sunday. It's going to be his last race. And he was in MotoGP for all those years. I mean, starting in the late 90s till just now. And his, I mean, and he's comparable to you and, and vice versa. Don't get me wrong. I mean, no, no disrespect to you. No disrespect to him, Don't say he's comparable to me. I wish I was Valentino Rossi. No, but, he is the man. But no, but you, but I'm saying you are too. And, and there has to be a passion because I, I sincerely believe you can't do something just for the money to stay that long. So it has to be a passion. How did you not get burned out? How did you not, how did you stay consistent with the love of what you're doing for that long? Like, what was it that still made you go, I'm going to wake up like, damn it, this year's going to be the year. Or, you know what, I'm going to show them this year. Or, I'm going to get a nine, I'm going to try to get eight, nine, nine, or whatever. It's just a challenge. Like, um, um, so, you know, at one point it became, so I was the first one to go nine, so on a, 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 a production motorcycle. So it's just like, I every, every, as I've been evolving in my career, like, I was the first one when I got into when I got factory sponsorship. I was racing in the 600 CC class, the super stock, super sport class, right? They had road racers that was into it, drag races that was so it was like the drag races against the road racers, the street races against the drag races, right? But all on the same platform motorcycle, mm -hmm. right? So I was the first one to go 1050s on a 600cc motorcycle. I was the first one to break into the 1040s and set the record. And I was the first one to break into the 1030s on a 600cc motorcycle. Like, so everything that I've done, like in the 90s, I was the first one to go 717 on a pro mod motorcycle. In 1991, I was the first one to go 720s on a pro comp motorcycle and won a championship the first year I turned pro, won the first four races on the tour and set the mile an hour, the mile an hour and ET record numerous times. So I won, I won pro rider of the year, pro rookie of the year, rider of the year and the championship in my first year as a professional. So things like this just drive me, drive me. And in every class that I got into, 
I would set a record in that class, like in every class that I moved into. And then even in my upper years, when people started, when I made it to an ambassador status with Kawasaki, now other countries want me to come to their countries to do exhibition style racing to show people, you know, what, you know, what a champion in the U.S. could do just to put on a show. And then I end up setting records in every country I went to, starting with Africa, then India, then Trinidad, you know, um, then I come back here to the United States and set the record um, on the H2 uh, at 230 miles an hour. And then like, and then I set the record here recently this summer, this year, I won a championship and uh, uh, last year going into this year. And I set the record. I was the first one to ever run 740s um, on, a, on a real street motorcycle. So as long as I'm able to do those kind of things, groundbreaking things and establish myself as a, as a cement in this in this in in this field um it inspires me to keep going but at the point where i'm just out there racing and nobody has to run up to the starting line to see how, what i'm getting ready to do next yeah then i'm gonna hang up my shoes like there's nothing left there's really nothing left for me to accomplish in drag racing i just love doing it now but that's what i'm talking about rick i mean you're saying all these records and that's fine and all but to me it's just that passion to do it yeah, people don't realize, you know, when you get a little older, sometimes it's a little harder to get out of bed sometimes and, and you know, a little harder to do something else. And, you know, nobody wants, wants, nobody wants to hear about you bitching and this and that, but you still do it. But to have that passion to do it year after year, and you got the young guns coming up, and I'm seeing you and uh, this Chris Moore dude go at it, and I'm loving it because it's like, it, it, to me, I think that's good for you because it's like, okay, okay, you want you, you want to challenge the king, okay, and then maybe that's it, it, a little more uh, fuel to the fire. Maybe that's what you need to, to get you going another year, another two years. You know what I mean? It is. It absolutely is. And I mean, I, I remember when Chris Moore first started. He started with my nephew. You know, my nephew. So he started in the '90s. In the '90s, I had won six championships already. You know, when he came out, I had won six championships. So, um, yeah, no, it just adds fuel to the fire because. You know, it's not like, how dare you, uh, uh, but I challenged him, right? And right. because I didn't, I didn't believe that nobody had ever tried to do what he did. So for him to say, like, he's the greatest and Suzuki is the fastest motorcycle in the world. Well, I don't have nothing against Suzuki, although it looks like I do. I started with Suzuki's, but I also believe in what I ride. Yeah. Like people say, oh, man, if you wasn't getting paid by Kawasaki, you wouldn't be riding a Kawasaki. Bullshit. <laughs> I believe in what I ride. Like I helped them develop. I've helped Kawasaki develop these motorcycles, right? Yeah. From the ZX-12 to ZX-14 and now the Kawasaki H2. I, I single-handedly had the most input from any civilian ever. I went, I flew to Japan. They invited me to Japan um, to be part of the development process of the world's first supercharged motorcycle. And just for them Japanese engineers that have on white lab coats and for us to be in this big room with a big screen of, of what was to come and for them to listen to me as I looked at the clay model bike, not even a real bike. Yeah. It was a clay model bike. And when I looked at it, it looked just like a real bike, but it was clay. And I would and I would say about the shock and I would say about the oil pan, you know, how close the oil pan drops down to the ground or the, the pipe is lower than the is it's higher than the oil pan and and the forks and 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 they were writing that stuff down and sure enough when this bike was developed they took everything i said into consideration 
and put it into the production motorcycle and then gave me the world's first production motor, uh, Kawasaki Ninja H2 with an H2R motor. And I had it a year before anybody ever even knew it was coming out. And it had to be the biggest secret ever. I couldn't let nobody see it. I couldn't test it in front of anybody or anything. So yeah, it's, a, it's things like that that keep me going. Like it just keeps me motivated. And what I like now is, even though you're still doing it, you can see that transition. Now you got your show on NBC Sports Network. Where you got the uh, the caffeine and octane show. How did that come about? And are, are, are you loving it? I mean, it looks like you are. It, it you know it's it looks like it is. But I know how TV can be sometimes. But I mean, are you having as much fun as it looks? Absolutely. Like like so. My next move after racing is to be in everybody. So but this actually happened before I stopped racing. But when I was asked this question by the executive producers of the show. Like, what do you, what is your next move? What are you, what are you looking for? I said, I've done everything I could do in drag race. And I said, my next move is to be on TV yeah. is to be in everybody's living room. Right. Yeah. And four years later, that same producer who worked for another company back then had his own production company now. And he had his own deal with, with uh, the major networks. He called me and said, is it true? I heard that you moved to Atlanta. I said, yeah. So I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to, they used to feature me on some of the shows that he produced. Mm-hmm. Now he had his own show. So he says, if that's true, he says, I have something that's probably right up your sleeve because he always asked me, did I ever want to be in front of the cameras? Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. like not, not, I was never behind the cameras, but instead of me being a guest on the show, uh-huh. I would want to be in front of the camera, like hosting the show. Yeah. And I said, yeah, I absolutely, television is my next move. And sure enough, when this show came out, he thought I was a perfect fit. He was like, we got three different people from three totally different venues. And they bring three totally different demographics to this show. And now, right now, I'm in, I'm absolutely enjoying, like, I'm enjoying my executive, um, my creative freedom in the show. There's nothing scripted about the show. They don't tell me what to pick or what to say or who to interview or, it's totally me and I get creative input. Like I can say, well, what about if we brought the camera from behind the hood, like looking through the hood scoop where you saw me in the background. And then when I came around the camera just came and they, and they were like, I love it. Like, I love that. Let's try that. You know? And I love that kind of, that's just, it's just, it's just, yeah. And then the fact that, so we're in our sixth season now, we're about to start filming our, our seventh season and we're international. The show just went international. Good, congratulations. So we're, congratulations. We're on its 64 countries and uh, over 20 million homes. It's just like the show just really took off. It's like one of the biggest, highest rated um, automotive shows on TV. And we just picked up Napa and Haggerty insurance. So we're looking good. No, that's, uh, you know, honestly, and I know you don't, but like I said, that's what I love about you. You always, it's not even reinventing yourself. You just stay in the game and you, you roll with the changes, man. Like the song by Ariel Speedwagon, you roll with the changes. And that's what you do, man. You keep, and, and, and like I said, it's not reinventing yourself. You just see what's going on and you go and you don't, you don't sit back and rest on your laurels. But has there been a time where you kind of stepped away and go, you know what? I made a pretty good, I made a pretty good career out of this. Not yet. Not yet. I don't feel like I've I don't feel like I've done it yet. I don't feel like I still have work to do. And not that I have anything to prove right. or even anything to accomplish. Yeah. But I'm not ready to sit back and look at what I've done yet until it's time to sit back and look at what I've done. Like I still have a book to write. 
I still have all kinds of things that I want to do. Um, but yeah, I, I do realize that I've done well, you know, just, just listening to people, listening, reading magazines, going on the internet and Googling myself and seeing what <laughs> other, other, other media streams are saying yeah. about things that I do. That's when I really realize it when I, cause I don't say any of this stuff out of my mouth. I don't push that. I'm this, I'm that I copy what's written by other media sources. I use what they write to, to, to put that on my website or anything like that. So the legendary stuff, the legend stuff, I didn't never call myself a legend. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not self-proclaimed. You, a are, legend. A legend, no. you are a legend. What I want to know is but, when are they, when are you going to do the Ricky Gatson story and who's going to star in it? Oh my God. Do you know Biker Boys, Mag Biker Boys, the, the movie? Yeah. That movie, I was in that movie and that movie, everybody says that that, and it really looked like it, but that movie was literally me because kid's dad yeah. got killed, killed, right? The kid's dad was his, was his idol and kid's dad was into racing and all that stuff and building bikes and stuff and he lost his dad. Right. And then kid became great. Yeah, I, my dad was in the motorcycle. I lost my dad when I was thirteen, and I became great. Like, like, all I he became great at street racing. I became great at street racing. You know, like it was kind of the same thing. So it looks like the the it looks like um, the producer of of Reggie Reggie Bythewood, who's a friend of mine. It looks like Reggie took my story and posted, but it wasn't my story. But um, I don't know. It, people have always asked me that. Well, let if you don't let me star in it. I think Remy Malco can, can start. But I think I should look. Can we kind of, I mean, kind of. We got the, I mean, I'm still kind of decent in shape if you don't look below <laughs> at my stomach. I'm, I'm kind of in shape. Don't laugh, man. I'm kind of in shape. <laughs> I can play you, man. I mean, you know, we do the feel of years or whatever, you know, and I'm a country boy. So we go, how hey, you go you to know, the country? We could do that. You know why? You know why you couldn't pull it off? Why? You talk faster than me. You talk too fast. <laughs> 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 Uh, <laughs> there no. I go pissing him off again. <laughs> no, I ain't mad. I ain't pissed off at all. No. Hey, listen, <laughs> I'm getting a rabbit up sign from my producer, but man, before I get out of here, for before I get out of here, <laughs> <laughs> that is so tricky from everybody. But before I get out of here, I just want to know real quick five questions. One word answers. Best bike, and this is gonna be a hard one for the best bike you've ever ridden. The best bike you've ever ridden that you go, wow. Because I mean, you look at it like not, a woman. Believe it or not, my Ninja One Thousand. Really? I got a, I got a Ninja One Thousand. It is the baddest bike, and of course, it's totally custom now, so it doesn't look like it did. But that is the that I enjoy that motorcycle more than probably any other bike like i've ridden just about everything but probably my ninja 1000 and my dad's bike the 79 kz 1300 yeah i man. get because of the memories it brings back when i right. hear it run yeah. and i get on it i i really i really get enthused when i'm riding but yeah my ninja 1000 is probably my favorite bike out of everything wow man Rick, honestly, I could, I, I want to do another, I want to do a part two, man. I really do. Cause we just scratched the surface. I'm going to, I'm going to, and I'm going to slow my talking down and I'm going to convince you <laughs> to let me be Ricky Gatson and Ricky Gatson's story. <laughs> Ricky Gatson, the star of caffeine and octane on NBC sports, 12 time world champion. Uh, look him up online to see if Ricky Gatson school teach how to drag race. He's just, uh, he's a living legend. It's coming from my mouth, not his. 
Ricky, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, buddy. Thank you guys for having me on. And thank you guys for watching Tales from a Gemini. And tell me what you think of this episode. And like we say about this time, you know the word. Peace. Peace.